This Week in HPC. IBM seeks to extend Moore's Law. And Microsoft adds GPUs to Azure. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with our friends at top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, this week in HPC, you were at the ISC Cloud and Big Data Conferences. How'd that go? Uh, very well, yeah. It's the first uh, first time they combined the conferences together into one event. So uh, basically, they sort of uh, went back and forth between the various uh, subjects. In some cases, uh, combining them. So it was an interesting. Uh, set of sessions here. Uh, I ended up going to uh, a workshop on the first day, which was all workshops. It was a deep learning workshop uh, uh, delivered by a few people from NVIDIA, which was, uh, you know, it was quite interesting. There's a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of work going on with machine learning and deep learning, and we sort of got an update on the sort of the state of the art there. It's uh, coming along quite a bit. There's a lot of refinements going on, a lot of work, uh, a lot of people doing it. Uh, NVIDIA obviously is very interested because a lot of people are doing the work on GPUs. So. Uh, it's, it's an interesting point. I mean, we've talked a lot about machine learning here, deep learning. NVIDIA has been big on it. It's something we've talked about here, but not really with relation to either big data or cloud, with the exception that it seems to be an application that's of interest to hyperscale types of companies who are often cloud providers in of themselves. Yeah, and I think the analytics side of it uh, is, is more on the big data side, although some of this work is being done in the cloud, or at least being uh, looked at to do that because NVIDIA does have support for GPU in the cloud. Um, and it, it is interesting, especially for the smaller uh, non-hyperscale organizations looking to do this work. And there are plenty of them. I mean, some people are doing this work on single machines or a few servers at, at uh, a smaller pace. But uh, there's a lot, of different, uh, a lot of different organizations, not just the hyperscale companies anymore. Well, and that is interesting because we expect to see deep learning continue to grow as an application, whether you want to call it an HPC application or a big data application or a hyperscale application, that's as may be. It's something that we do expect to grow out of this niche and uh, find a home at more organizations. So cloud presents a, a vehicle for that to happen. Yeah, and the more traditional side of the big data and cloud uh, Sessions actually, the two keynotes sort of reflected that. The first keynote was from uh, Dr. Jan Vid. Uh, he's a DZ bank, and he's actually talked about the the way his bank is using cloud computing as part of their strategy. And that was a very interesting talk. I mean, they they position themselves as a conservative bank, as all banks are. So they're very careful about things like security and and reliability and and things of that nature that have been a question mark in the cloud. So we went through some of the some of the ways they've been attacking those problems, especially data security. Um, but they're, they're several years into their strategy, and they're, they are taking advantage of it to good effect for their customer base. Um, the second one was more about the big data side. In this case, uh, 
Peter Coveney at uh, University College London. He talked about personalized medicine, a big subject for him over the years, and how the different, more what we consider HPC-type applications are being used to, to uncover different challenges in, in personalized medicine, genomics and proteomics and things like that for, for drug discovery and, and treatment. So there's a lot of work going on in that area. University College London in Great Britain is sort of uh, leading the way there and using supercomputers and, and other infrastructure to, to push those forward. Personalized medicine, of course, is a, an area people love to talk about in HPC. It's an area that uh, that is kind of out there at the forefront that people look to for, for uh, transforming the world we live in through better science and computing as a tool. Now, one thing that we've got back at home, meanwhile, we're looking at uh, press releases this week in HPC. We've also talked a lot about uh, the death of Moore's Law, but maybe it's not entirely dead yet. Interesting news from IBM as to how they might be able to extend it a little bit. Yeah, they just announced this week uh, via a paper that they published in Science, or will be published in Science as of uh, today or within a few hours, uh, about the work they're doing with carbon nanotubes. Now, carbon nanotubes is one of the, probably the leading contender to take over sort of the the semiconductor technology when Moore's Law sort of runs out of steam. And IBM's made an interesting breakthrough here about uh, basically fitting contacts to the end of the nanotube devices to, to make it all more practical. Right. The, the, the restricting factor here with carbon nanotubes uh, has been that as the contacts get smaller, you have too much resistance at the contact point. Now their revolutionary step forward is to go to a single-walled carbon nanotube but at the point of contact, uh, they're essentially sprinkling in a certain amount of molybdenum, which, like carbon, has a very high melting point and, uh, and also has a low resistance point. And the idea is that uh, this uh, amalgam, if you want to call it that, uh, can bring the resistance of that contact point down uh, within a single-walled carbon nanotube. Right. I mean, and that's the sort of the, the limiting factor in semiconductor-based technology. The resistance is becoming too high. The, the electrons are leaking out, and all of a sudden, you, you don't really have a, a viable circuit anymore. Now, with carbon nanotubes and this, this new development, uh, they think they can get uh, well below 10 nanometers, uh, which is sort of the limit of what people are talking about today, maybe 7 nanometers with silicon and germanium, all the way down below 5 nanometers. In the, in the press release, they talked about 1.8 nanometers, which is now a few a few generations of Moore's law beyond what anybody was talking about for for silicon-based technology. Right, and you know a lot of the limits that we talked about with Moore's law were limits that were inherent to the element that were being used with silicon. Right. And if you transition over to carbon, uh, you know it's a smaller atom. It's yep. got a higher melting point. It doesn't even really melt. It doesn't exist as a liquid. <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, but uh, you could potentially push Moore's Law another couple of generations with a, a new material. It's it's just funny with IBM, with what they have going on in the labs. It reminds me of a time of their storage technologies maybe 10 or 12 years ago. I remember them uh, having a, a so-called
called pixie dust they were sprinkling on where they were at a coating of a few atoms of ruthenium on their disc platters. So they, you know, they, the IBM, this company, every once in a while gets me opening up my periodic table of the elements to see what they're using this week. Yeah, they, they definitely try to use all of them, definitely. <laughs> That's right. I mean, they, they've actually, but they've been working we, on We've this got one. this jar of molybdenum. What should we do yeah. with it? What should we do with this one? No, but uh, obviously they've been working on this a while. I mean, IBM Research is a big, uh, well-funded uh, part of the IBM uh, ecosystem there. I'm the, they were reporting on um, carbon nanotube technology you know, several years ago. They got it down to nine, some nine nanometer devices back, I think, in 2012 or so. And this is just sort of another step on the road. It's not the end of the road. They've they've still got some challenges here. I mean, they're they're talking. They still don't have to know how to purify the carbon down to where the semiconductor molecules are, are are pure enough, and they also have to figure out how to manipulate these nanotubes at the at these dimensions. They can't quite do that yet, but there's there's still, you know, a good seven, uh, five or seven years left in uh, semiconductor-based technology, and uh, maybe it'll come along just in time. Handicap this for me. Your analyst opinion: carbon nanotubes, a believer or a non-believer? I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I'm a believer too. I think out of all the wacko stuff that we've talked about, this is the one that's actually practical. Yep. And the need for faster processors, they're still going to be part of the market that wants more processing power. I think this does show up in the market. You know, Moore's law notwithstanding, I you know I don't think that's important to say. Well, is it showing up within every 18 months or whatever the point is that there's a way to make faster processors, and uh, and I think carbon nanotubes are the most practical way to do that. It might be a decade away, but I think we'll get there. Yep, I agree. And we'll talk about it on our podcast then when we do it. <laughs> yes. Meanwhile, we got people trying to figure out how to do more with the processor technologies that we've got. We were talking about cloud earlier, and Microsoft is upgrading the high-performance capabilities of its Azure cloud by now mixing in GPUs. Right. At their Azure conference this week, they, they announced a whole bunch of stuff. But one of the things they did announce was, was the addition of, of GPUs to their um, Azure virtual machine. So they come up with a new, a new instance with uh, some of the newer GPUs, uh, all from NVIDIA in this case. One's for uh, visualization and one's more on the compute side. So they, they're planning these two new instances to make available to the people. Um, I think they're using the K80 for the, for the compute one. And uh, actually, I think it's a, it's a Maxwell-based, uh, maybe it's a non-Tesla chip even for the visualization one. So they could offer a few different things. and. Uh, uh, some interesting configurations now that could be available, it sounds like, pretty soon. Microsoft Azure is the uh, third biggest public cloud uh, provider, essentially, in the HPC market, behind uh, Amazon and Google is, is one and two. Got a bit of a slow start because of the association with Microsoft and still a lot of le residual uh, leftover feelings about uh, Microsoft products and particularly Windows in this space. But, uh, but Microsoft Azure you know, has been picking up, and we see them adding these high-performance components. Uh, it's still early days in a developing HPC cloud market. There are people out there using it, but it's it's growing in our forecast at 14% a year. Uh, it's going to get up over a billion dollars a year in this space, and Microsoft uh, is, is setting itself up to be a real player. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft, uh, their cloud has always been uh, oriented towards performance, and I've, they've got a lot of uh, use cases on there for, for scientific and HPC-type computing. 
mean, I was actually a little surprised they came so late to the GPU game. I mean, even even Amazon had GPUs uh, a few years ago, and there's there's a whole bunch actually of clouds out there. I think Pier One Hosting announced uh, several years ago that they're adding GPUs. Penguin Computing, of course, uh, yeah, there are HPCers from way back. They've had GPUs in the cloud for a while, and there's a couple others as well. So, in a sense, Microsoft's a little late, but uh, they're they're one of the most prominent cloud providers, obviously, as you mentioned. So it'll be a uh, a good a good thing for HPC uh, users who want to take advantage of those devices. Closing out the podcast this week in HPC, Michael. One other news story I wanted to sneak in, although it's not going to go down as one of the bigger ones. But I noticed that Data Vortex Technologies has made its first public installation with a system called Pepsi to uh, PNNL Pacific Northwest National Labs. This is important because uh, you know it's a company that we've been tracking. For for a while since right. before they were public, and uh, it's a really interesting novel architectural approach that reimagines how data flows around a machine. And the whole premise is that they wanted to design an architecture that would excel at types of problems that were the opposite end of the spectrum from Linpack. Right. I mean, they're very oriented towards processor-processor communication. They're, they're attacking the latency and bandwidth problem, for, you know, basically between nodes. It's oriented around those types of problems, which, uh, from a HPC standpoint, are a lot of the application space, at least traditionally. So this this looks to speed that up, and I'm guessing that's why PNNL is interested. They've got a lot of these applications that that are now being limited by uh, the low latency interconnect or the latency interconnect between uh, the various nodes and the CPUs, and, and this is a very interesting architecture for that. Well, I mean, potentially a lot of people will be interested in it. You know, this is an architecture that purports to do well at things like sparse linear algebra or, or you know, the GUPS benchmark that's been long forgotten that right. various people in the government care about, fast Fourier transforms, which yep. show up in all kinds of applications. Uh, you know, it, it's not a Linpack machine that's going to put up a big top 500 number, but it does really well on these other kinds of applications. And uh, it's the kind of thing I would like to see in the industry. I would like there to be room for this. Not a lot of people ever want to line up to be the first one buying a new architecture. But uh, getting a PNNL out there and installed, I'm sure people are going to be looking at the benchmarks to see how well Data Vortex does. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And it's, it's nice that it's a DOE lab and it will get some public exposure there. So, yeah, this could be a nice little stepping stone for the company to, to see how some real applications that are public uh, get run on that. All right. We got a lot going on now, Michael. I love yep. how this industry heats up in the fall. Yeah, it's very nice, especially after some big conferences. It looks like it's picking back up. All right. Thanks a lot, Michael. Welcome back home. And yep. thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 